This is the AMA Los Angeles Podcast. Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles Podcast. I'm Joel Metzger. We are in the offices of Innovation Protocol in beautiful K-Town, and I am here with Sasha Strauss, Managing Director and Founder of Innovation Protocol. Welcome, Sasha. Glad to be with you, Joel. First, let's just give everybody a thumbnail of who you are and what you're doing now. Appreciate the ask. I work in the category of brand strategy, and I do it in three ways. As a professor at the business schools at UCLA, USC, and UC Irvine, I speak about it at conferences, summits, company gatherings, etc. And then I work here at Innovation Protocol on global brand projects. Branding has become so important now for every business. Why is it so important now for a business to have a strong brand? Well, the simple answer is the internet. The consumer didn't have a voice before. You know, we could write a letter to the Better Business Bureau and hope that there would be some reprimand, but it was nothing. It changed no one's behavior. Now that the consumer can leave an indelible mark, brands are smartening up. So it's, it's a change in the atmosphere. Exactly. It's a change in the conversation atmosphere that requires an organization to have character strength, to kind of stand for something and act in a certain way and and ensure that the people they hire see things in a similar way, that kind of cohesive consistency that builds trust. And in the communication era, that's really what this is because the Internet is just a part of it. In this communication era, the wealthy no longer have the power of voice. Uh, it's exclusively their right. Now small startups can talk loud. An entrepreneur, individual, a solopreneur can talk loud. And that means that we have to be crafters of our voice in this medium. And well, speaking of equality, with all this competition in brand warfare, what are your thoughts on how to stay ethical with branding? Well, it used to have to be that there was a, a legal injunction that forced an organization kind of to smarten their way. But now they have the judgment of the masses. And what's happening is that very big businesses with very capitalistic intentions still have a CSR strategy, a corporate social responsibility initiative. Why? Because their employees and their partners and their customers want to know that that organization is not just making money. And so what what I thought would have been uh, an ethics tear, like, oh, no, shoot, all these companies are going to crumble because they're immoral. What I've actually seen is a groundswell from within them where a vice president will step up and say, you know, organization, yes, we're great at making widget, but let's also consider that that widget has social impact, economic impact, ecological impact. Why don't we think about our touch points there as well? And that deep thought adds something to think about. And the investors want things to think about. The employees want things to think about. So it's in an, we're in like a new era of ethics, if you ask my sort of optimistic opinion. So g- give me some key elements of brand development. Well, the words you picked, brand development, are actually key references to the process, which is the brand has to be grown, developed, evolved, whatever the case might be, even if it's a small business that's growing or it's a larger business that's changing, there's brand nurturing to take place. There tends to be four sequential phases. Some of my clients, competitors, students have different opinions, and that's fine. I just know that there is some sort of sequential model. The basic premise is that step one is a form of research. 
there's so many ways you could do a social media scrape, you can run focus groups, you could do a data crunch. I mean, there's lots of ways to do the research, but you recognize you shouldn't take action in the communication era without knowing what's going on on the battlefield of communication in your space. So there's the phase one research. Now, phase two is to think on top of that research. Like now that we have this insight, what is it going to do to the way we make? What is it going to do the way that we commune? Whatever the action might be, well, that's hard to do. And that tends to be called strategic thinking. So the research, you can go about collecting and assessing, but from that research, you stand on top of it and create. That's, that tends to be called the brand strategy phase. Second phase. Now, once you have done your research and developed the strategy, then the next step is to in, encase it in a design system. Humans are by nature visual and verbal. I mean, we have two ears and two eyes. It says something. We, you have to not only stimulate the mind through word consumption, but you also have to give the consumer something to look at, to, to, to stimulate the, uh, to embed the content in their mind. So, that's where the design piece comes into play. Well, once you've done research, thought strategically, and then systemized it in a design, now you have to, fourth phase, activate it. Now, activation depends on the category, but you know, building a website out, maybe creating your social media icon, name, things to that effect, um, maybe building a digital brochure, maybe a trade show booth. All of those things are an activation of the brand system. Now, in conclusion, Remember, though, you could probably skip those things. You could kind of guess at what's happening. You could kind of guess at what the strategy should be. But recognize that that's dangerous. And not only that, but it's so much cheaper to find out the answer now. I mean, orders of magnitude cheaper. What one of my coworkers, like an analyst, can do in a day used to cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars when I started in this industry 20 years ago. Hundreds of thousands. So... You, you can't give up on the research. It's so there that if you don't take a swing at it, you're being lazy. And then all the other pieces you realize are just concerted effort. Like, okay, we know these things. Okay, we can now think this way. Okay, we can now package it in this way. And now we can live with it in this way. And that's why brand strategy becomes just so, so foundational to the way that an organization operates. Let's go over the four one more time. So there's research. Strategy. strategy. Design activation. Great. So what are some tactics that a company can use to build a strong brand? Well, before we think that, that a tactic would be something like mystical or magical, like something sparkly, like, oh, if the brand only sparkled in this way, I'm here to report the data is in. Most of brand strategy is strategic deduction. It's like, oh, whoa, 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 what can we not be? What should we not be? Who are we not? I like to say to my personal branding graduate students, you can't be who you are unless you're clear what you're not. Same thing for a brand. So if you're trying to work on your corporate identity, your voice to the world, you, you have this opportunity to deduce what you should do rather than imagine what you should do. So things like competitive analysis, it's fundamental in business strategy, but now it's evolved into communication strategy. What are our competitors saying? And by the way, not to hate them, not to spite them, just to not say the same thing for goodness sake. All right, well, we can all study competitors. We can follow them on Twitter. We can go to their venues or we can call their customer service. All legal things that no, would be find, no one would find offensive. That's just one action. Another action is to do what's called sort of consumer profiling. You, you, you basically assess that there's a 
a particular type of audience, a, an audience you're engaging, and that audience lives in a certain way. And you could create these consumer profiles to help guide the choices you make. Those two simple actions are like half of the way there. Like honestly, when you do a competitive analysis, you get immediate rich market data. Like what matters where and why does it matter for those reasons? Because these organizations are actively communicating, right? They're They've got YouTube videos. They've got trade show events. That's a lot of outgoing communication. Well, you too can be on the receiving end of it. And by doing that and seeing three, five, seven competitors all kind of lining up on the same pattern, wow, that's a strategic insight about what's happening in your category. And again, this is nothing illegal about this. So to answer your question about brand tactics, it's not about fanciful imagination. It's really about deduction and doing a competitive analysis and an audience assessment that is half of the heavy lifting when it comes to brand strategy. That's fascinating. You work with a lot of cool brands. What are some common challenges that you see happening again and again across all those brands? You know, I don't know what you meant by cool, but when you said that, I'll, all I thought to myself was, it's not actually how like s- consumer sexy a brand is that makes it cool. It's how robust it is. So if you're asking me as a brand builder, like what cool projects we've worked on, it has been the ones where there is end-to-end brand influence. That to me is cool. What do you mean end-to-end? Well, so you could quote brand by making a business card and putting a logo on it and maybe a little three-word tagline. You could brand with that. But... Beyond the business card. So someone takes the business card and they come to your office and it doesn't cast off the same energy or they go to your website and it's disconnected. Well, yeah, again, you technically built the brand because you constructed those two assets, but has it has it been imbued in the practice? And so an end-to-end brand program affects what the CEO says on stage when she's leading a conference. It affects the way that the customer service person answers the phone. It affects the user interface of the technology. All those things get sort of stitched together to create a fabric that makes people feel warm and, and protected. So, Or at least consistent. Well, let's not undermine consistency. We, we desperately want it. Humans are lazy. We want to be we want to find a choice and stick with it. It's why you eat the same foods and drink the same beverages. There are other better foods, other better beverages, but you're like, no, 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 I'm good. Well, that's the point is that a brand wants to kind of settle into that comfort zone with you. Well, you're not going to let something that's spiky and distracting settle into your daily comfort. You want something that feels like you can trust it. And that's where brand becomes the consistency factor. It, it makes it so that you can have a relationship with the offering or the company. Would you say a strong brand makes a company worth more than its financial assets on paper? Yes. So to, to make us a, a really calculated answer, a lot of times a chief financial officer, someone in charge of the money of a big corporation will say to us, <clears throat> uh, I know my marketing department approved this project here, but you know what, uh, what's going to be the return on investment on this communication effort? And I smile and respond that it will not be quantified, but you will know it. And how you will know it is you will see a 3%, 5% different in everyone's behavior. It will change how the sales team thinks about what they're selling. It'll change your frantic response to the financial market's question about the quarter. It'll change who you recruit and how you train them. That 
3% contribution across your organization adds up to a monumental organizational transition. And at the end of this project, I'll ask you what the ROI was. And, you know, I'm doing it to be sassy, but it's true. It's true. The, the, the measurement of brand contribution is impossible. There are some um, market studies that you can do. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of a brand asset evaluator. It's kind of like um, you ask an, a buyer, like things like, how likely are you to refer a friend to this product? And based on the way that they rate that, you can get a good assessment about a brand's appeal and durability. I agree. That's like, but that's like one leg of the table here. And so this is a sort of big question, which is how much do I spend investing in this brand creation? And the answer is impossible. I can't tell you. It depends on how serious you are about this business. If you want to just try something, like see if it works, then don't bother. But if you're serious about making money, serious about building a donor base, serious about getting students to enroll, they're going to be asking questions. And if you don't answer them, someone else will. Why wait? Why wait to be disrupted? The top brands, the, the ones that are really doing this right, what sets them apart? Well, a combination of parts. For example, there is leadership buy-in that brand matters. Of course, that sounds like obvious, but you know, when a CEO believes in brand, then everyone below that CEO acts in accordance with brand. And so the organizations that are doing it really, really well, whether they're athletic brands, um, um, health systems, nations, this isn't just some side project that the sort of manager of marketing threw together on a weekend. This is part of quarterly meetings. This is something the board is thinking about. And so that's the real answer, is that the organizations who, are, who know that the, the connection they have to their audience is worth money, it's worth, it's worth overvaluation, <laughs> all those good things, um, they, they put this as a top agenda item. It's not sort of thrown in as a last clause. How long does it typically take to build a differentiated brand? So let's break that into two parts. There's the construction, like building of the thing, and then there's the building the recognition for it. The construction could take as little as a month, maybe up to three months, depending on how big your organization is. But I've seen global institutions construct a brand. Going through those four steps. We going through about. the four steps in, in three months. Now, we'll take a significant load, you know, five, six people thinking about it every day for two months, but nonetheless, you'll get what you want. The second part of your question is really how do you garner the recognition for that thing you built? And that is, sorry, asterisk, dependent on the category. For example, if you're selling medical devices that physicians should use in surgery, that's a five to seven year stretch. If you're changing the gum people buy at the register, you could do that in 30 days. So there's an expectation where the, the complexity of the product, for example, is it a car or is it a rattle for the baby? The complexity of the product usually means that there's more communication needed, like more effort. 
Like I said gum, and I think everyone listening was like, oh yeah, those silly commercials, pretty pictures. Oh, that's, and that's, I'm sorry to say, easy. It's kind of easy stimuli. But when you're trying to figure out how to get a mom to buy a certain brand of formula to feed her seedling that she just has dreamt about her whole life, I mean, my goodness, you think that one flashy ad that interrupted a Facebook stream is going to change that consumer's behavior? No, there's got to be cushy discourse, like little this, a little that here and there, and that takes time. So we have to set expectation. Constructing the brand, gosh, go do it in 30 days. Building equity in it, category dependent. Well, let's talk about personal brands, not a company, but an individual. Uh, How do these concepts cross over? What can people do to build their personal brand? Let's just make this easy. Remember earlier when we were talking in the podcast about how um, one of the tactics for tactics for brand strategy is like doing a competitive analysis and an audience analysis. Who are we not? Exactly. Exactly. You can't be who you are unless you're clear what you're not. Well, that directly translates to personal brands. And when I say personal brand, I don't want anyone to think that oh, there it is again, the sort of ego bragging that uh, really offended me. You know, when you see a lawyer put up a billboard, you're like, come on, you know, or a doctor advertising. Well, look. How's this? The bad people are communicating. So the people offering really good value, those doctors, those lawyers, well, should they not talk? Should they not communicate? No, no, they not only should be communicating, but they should be smart about it. So when it comes to personal brands, you have to ask yourself, well, okay, here I am, a vice president of sales. Who is my competition? Whose voice is competing with mine, or maybe it's my predecessor, that VP of sales was here seven years. Shoot, I have to reconcile my team's relationship with that individual and my behavior. Well, brand strategy is, okay, I am a being, I have certain values to contribute. I'm not perfect in all things, I can't be. I'm good at these five things and I can do these other seven. All right, then I was hired to do those things. All right, well, the the audience already has consumed something like me before. Well, what have they consumed? How do they consume it? Where do they consume it? And once you have that competitive market assessment in place, then you can now ask, all right, well, who is it that I'm trying to directly influence with my leadership? And there are a specific group of people. For example, I'm mentioning sales teams. Salespeople are a very specific type of human. You need not waste energy appealing to HR over there or appealing to operations over there because their opinion doesn't matter. You are working on behalf of these salespeople. So construct your or implement your personal brand strategy as it directly relates to their specific need. Save, remember, like you said second time, you can't be who you are unless you're clear what you're not. Well, operations has no influence on my business. HR has no influence on my business. I just have these salespeople to engage. So personal branding works for the executive director of a nonprofit. You know, they're the sort of spiritual leader of the institution. Works for, we have clients that are priests, um, clerics, rabbis, um, all different leader relationships. It's kind of astounding. Provosts at universities, um, chief executives at medical uh, hospital systems. They're all asking the question like, shoot, It's not just how hard I pull the lever that's going to make my mark here. It's who I am while I pull it. Well, who am I? Now, I know I'm lots of things, but what specific things matter to my audience? And let me focus on those. 
So uh, wrapping up, for our listeners out there, can you recommend some resources to help them develop their brands? I'll use the graduate student answer. My graduate students are some of the toughest customers I ever had. I've had the world's largest organizations as clients, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll take their feedback over my graduate students because my graduate students are fresh minds uninfluenced by a corporate process. They, gosh darn it, they just want things to be right and for models to work. And so they're a tough crowd. And uh, so the books that I'm using this semester in my class, I'm kind of excited to say is the answer for you. So one book that we're using in class is called Designing Brand Identity. Designing Brand Identity. It's already in its fourth edition now. It's by Alina Wheeler. And it is really the flip book for brand processes. So indulge, it's easy, you can get it and comprehend it without being a brand master. So that's one recommendation. Uh, The other book we're using is a little more of a deeper dive. And if you can hear the passion in my voice, I do believe that brands have emotional responsibility. They are the stimuli whether you're a nonprofit, a for-profit, a university, a corporation, that the brand is what is, pumps the blood through the heart of the organization. And so there's a book called Strategic Brand Management. It's in its third edition. Um, the two authors are, uh, last name, uh, Rosenba- Rosenbaum, Elliott, and Percy. We'll have these on the podcast, maybe, to have uh, to get quick access. I'm sure they'll do a link on that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So uh, these two books, just quick why I chose them. One is a you can quickly peruse and use as a reference guide. That was the first one I mentioned, Designing Brand Identity. The second one is, all right, I'm going to sit down on my couch for three hours, and I'm going to truly understand the dynamics of brand in this era. And I promise this to all of you listening. I have coworkers that are young and old, people who worked in psychology, people who worked in business, there isn't someone who is destined to be a brand strategist. If you are willing to be empathetic and understand that humans need to be stimulated by the choices they make, you can become a master at this quickly. So take the time, answer the questions, practice, try nonprofit work. It's a great place to grow your brand skill. And you'll see that brand mastery is maybe a year out and nothing longer than that. Well, that's a great place to end it. Sasha Strauss, founder of Innovation Protocol, thanks for being on the AMA Los Angeles podcast. I appreciate it, Joel. AMA has been instrumental in so many of my peers in my career, so I appreciate this chance to help you learn and grow together. You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los Angeles chapter and to find out about upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by Joel Metzger and Icebox Logic.